Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the I Want to Be a Producer podcast, sponsored by Flying Penguin Graphics, audio production by Kieran Nemont. And here's your host, Curtis Brown. Hello, folks, and welcome to the I Want to Be a Producer podcast, where emerging creatives and producers can gain insight from established and respected producers about what it takes to become successful in the TV, film, or theater industry, or any industry that has a producer. My name is Curtis Brown, and I am your host, and I am joined by audio producer Kieran Nemont. Kieran, how are you? Fantastic, fantastic. And you, sir? Man, you're always always fantastic on the I Want to Be a Producer podcast, man. Yeah, man. So, Kieran, this is it, man. This is the biggest show of our life. This is it, the biggest show, man. This is yes, the man. season one finale. Yeah, this is it, now, folks. So, until we review and come back with the next season. So, we'll come back in the new year, probably, and we'll come back and revisit and um, have some more guests and talk about producing a bit more and hear about people's journeys. I wanted to thank a few people Jake Foy for the podcast art, uh, Casey Klein for his promo art on all the socials and for lending his voice for the intro, Dan Mackey and everyone over down at uh, Flying Penguin Graphics, who's the sponsor of the podcast. Their Instagram is flying underscore penguin underscore graphics on Instagram. I was right that episode. I think it was a few episodes ago I said something. And I want to thank all of our guests as well. Anyone that lent their time to our podcast to talk is, I mean, I, I, I seriously, I can't thank them enough. No, nothing in the entire world can replace what time, what time has in value. And I just wanted to thank Katie Lipson, Michael Rubinoff, Kevin Larson, Jennifer Ashley Tepper, Kevin Cricks, Damina Hamid, Sarah Ellis, and Greg Camp. And of course, our guest today, which I will not tell you who it is, but we are about to introduce him very soon. Um... And I also just wanted to ask Kieran, you one last time, uh, what, what, what's one thing you've learned this season that maybe you didn't, I mean, maybe as an different as an audio producer, maybe not. I mean, I think some of the skills are transferable definitely. So what, what, what's something you you can say that you've learned from any of our guests this, uh, this podcast, this season? I think, uh, I think a common thing that everyone brought up was networking is key, man. Networking. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely... Networking and relationships and keeping those relationships and being nice to everyone plays such a pivotal role. Okay, Brew, for the last time, this is it, man. Uh, we are about to introduce our last guest here. He was so fantastic. He was so wonderful. Um, we got to speak about uh, almost everything, and even Kieran got to ask a question. I got a which question was super in cool. on the final episode, man. The I'll final episode, man. <laughs> That's huge. That's huge. And it was a good question, too. And he, he <laughs> really, you, really you. enjoyed it. And he asked you to do it, too, which is so great. Our next guest is so wonderful, and I don't want to take up any more time. Kieran, take it away. Our guest today is a producer that has 20 years of media and entertainment industry experience in film, television, commercials, and journalism. He has a master's degree from Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism, specializing in broadcast journalism, and a bachelor's degree in psychology from Penn State University with a minor in business. He was previously head of production and development of Troika Pictures, where he produced films The Road Within and Careful What You Wish For, starring Nick Jonas. Before joining Troika, he worked at CNN, where he produced shows Anderson Cooper 360, American Morning, and was a reporter for CNN.com. He is currently the co-founder and president of Film and Television at Amasia Entertainment, where he most recently produced the film Wild Mountain Time, has produced Mr. Right, The Call, and the 2019 Sundance and South by Southwest selection film Them That Follow, and couldn't be a veterinarian because he couldn't put the animals down, so he might be the best animal sitter ever. Welcome to the I'm Gonna Be a Producer podcast, Bradley Gallo. (laughs) 
How you doing? I'm I'm so happy you're here. Seriously. I mean, coming from Twitter friends to now being on an interview together, I mean, you can't beat it, can you? Hey, the social media has bridged the divide. We're able to talk to anybody now, right? Seriously, you can. And it's a great tool as well when used correctly. I mean, I've been a huge Twitter guy. A lot of people aren't into Twitter. I love Twitter. Um, so we were speaking about journey of becoming a producer earlier before we hit the record button. And that's how I like to start off my interview is, is seeing how everyone kind of got into it because as we were discussing, you know, every journey is different. So you went to both Penn state university and Columbia university and then got steered away from being a vet. So how did you get into producing exactly? Well, what I always wanted to be in film and television. If you look at my fifth grade yearbook, you see that I said I wanted to be an actor. But everybody wants to be an actor when they're a kid. That's what they they don't realize what the process is, right? So um, that was the. But then when I went to college, my my parents were kind of like shying me away from getting a film degree because, like, what do you do with a film degree if it doesn't work out? <laughs> yeah. So my family's a bunch of therapists, and so I said, all right, well, psychology seems good. I probably ace that. So I did pretty well and got a very high GPA, and so then I. I knew that I can go to grad school if I wanted to until I realized that I was having the itch much sooner and I was writing screenplays in college and thinking that when I got out, I'm just going to make a movie. And uh, I actually got out and started to become a production assistant, of which I was a production assistant on Keeping the Faith, uh, which is an old movie with uh, now I consider that old. Oh, my God. Um, which is Ben Stiller and uh, Edward Norton together. It was really cool. And then another one called Autumn in New York. And then I met a 30 year old production assistant on one of these. And I said, there's no way I'm going to be 30 years old. This is what you think when you're in your 20s. Right. You know, no way I'm going to be a th production assistant by 30. So I, I better go and, uh, you know, write. And anyway, I wrote, directed, produced and starred at that time in a movie called Magic Rock, which is terrible. So don't go look. <laughs> um, but I was able to do it. I raised the money myself and, and put it together and, and it sort of started my career off. And of course, a lot of waves along the way that led me to other places like journalism, um, which, cause I was really yearning to get to the true stories, to get to the stories that make a difference. I had heard an interview with Robin Williams once where he said, you know, the only movie that anyone ever used to come up to me about was, that changed their life was Dead Poets Society. And uh, he would always talk about how that like was so amazing that I made something that affected people. So I kind of wanted to do that. And, and in film, you, you can you can make movies to make money or you can make movies to make a difference. And clearly the making a difference is the trend right now. And so I went into journalism to sort of push that. And, uh, and I thought maybe I'll go into journalism and do that kind of work. And then I got there and you can see what journalism has turned into. It's 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 very much bifurcated on opinions. Um, so I wasn't really going to stay on that front, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where I, so then I went, so then I, the big, big, big moment was when I made the decision to fly and move to LA and, uh, that was going from New York to LA right? and, uh, it sort of opened up my world of this world and how, uh, connected it is from a perspective of meeting agents and, and managers and directors and producers and everybody is in the same speak, uh, you know, which can be annoying, but at the same time can be very helpful in, in, in your trajectory if you really have the talent. Right. And so I felt that in my whole world that I, you know, I was, wasn't such a great writer. Uh, directing, you really, you know, should have a significant amount of talent. I was very afraid of directing. Right. Um, and then acting, you know, that's a lifestyle you have to really want to do. And, mm -hmm. and producing was the one job where you can be a part of 
every bit of it, right? You could be a little bit of, you know, you know, you're developing the screenplay, you know, you're 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 having the conversation with the director about the vision of the film, you're obviously hiring the actors and talking about the characters, and then you're putting together the financing, the distribution, the marketing, and you're the person from the idea all the way to the moment that the movie's coming into the theaters and when it's being distributed six years later on free television. And so you're a part of the whole process. So the only trick to that in producing is that you better love your films. You better be passionate about it because you're involved with every film from the moment you put it onto your idea list to the moment it comes. It could be 10 years. So I have movies that I've been involved with for 10 years. Wow. So you can't, you can't just like, oh, this looks like a great, this will be a great hit. Well, if you're not passionate about it, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get hurt in the process in terms of uh, your passion for it, you know? So Right. And do you think – actually, I'd, I'd be curious to know, do you think streaming services have sped that process up or have delayed that process? Uh, no, it's not – it's no different. Because no different? No, it's it, 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 there's more outlets to get your movies made and there's more opportunity for that. But that doesn't change that the process of getting a movie through that system is just as difficult as it is to make it independently. You, you still have to have found the idea, developed it. That could be a year, right? Maybe get the get the actual IP from a book or whatever it is that you're putting together. Then you're then you then you're probably hiring a director before you go to the streamer because you kind of want to say this is – because you, you give them a script and it's like, yeah, I like it. But like who's the director? And So then you may be even getting cast and then you may be setting it to – it. we may even make the movie and then the streamer comes and buys it from you. So this, the process hasn't really changed except for people who maybe have a deal, let's say, with Netflix where they have a 10-picture deal. Right. And it's just like boom, 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 boom. That's – but I'm talking from an indie film perspective. And you've worked a lot in the independent – world for like 20 years. So what do you love about it and how do you compare working for more commercial filmmaking? Um, I love the independent filmmaking world because it is all on you and uh, and you get to, at the end of the day when that film was made and completed, you were uh, a big part. I call myself the bridge between art and commerce. And, and you know that's really what it is. You're taking the artist and you're taking the money and or distribution apparatus and trying to put them together and and work together. And so you have to. There are times where you're saying to the artist, "Look, I, I know you really you know want to do this with a jib and a thing, and it's going to cost it, but we don't really have the money for that. And it doesn't really make sense creatively unless you can argue that." Or the artist is saying something that's really makes a lot of sense. Like we absolutely need the drone in this shot. It's going to cost us a bunch of money, but because of the way I'm looking at this character, blah, blah, blah. And you, and you go back to the financiers and you're like, they need this, this they need. Right. So right. it's a conversation. I like that. And in the studio land, it's a little bit different because you, you don't have to worry about finding the money or pleasing them. I, it, like they have the money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they, they have a vision for what they need from a marketing distribution perspective. And so now I, I've, I, I can trust the studio in doing that portion of the job. And so I'm really focused on the making the best movie possible creatively uh, and working with the actors and all that. Um, so, so it's just different. It's, it's, it's a different beast. And I'm glad I started in indie, so I know every aspect of the process that when I go into a studio, I'm bringing that with me and then getting the advantages of what they bring to the table that allow this to be much more global worldwide and last longer um, than what I do. Right. And you've produced a lot of successful feature films, but you've also produced a lot of short films too. And I wanted to know how important were short films and micro-budget films to your producing career? I mean, I, I, you uh, you do them. You should be doing them throughout your whole career. Um, 
you know, because you're experimenting with things. I think they're good for experimenting with things, whether it's like I want to try something as a director or I want to I want to learn a technique or or practice with a cinematographer before we go into a feature. Um, or it's a selling tool. A lot of times we do shorts to say, okay, here's a script that's uh, an hour and a half, but let me just do like 10 minutes over here of footage or uh, or, or, or a short version of this film. And I, most people have launched their careers on having either short films or footage uh, or trailery type stuff that sort of gives them a sense, people visually, of what this person can bring to the table. Right. Um, and I find that they're helpful. Like, for example, we're doing what we call a sizzle reel. I call those shorts. Everything's a short, right? So we're doing a sizzle reel right now for a television show that we have that has massive attachments in terms of talent, but you still need to prove out the concept in a sizzle reel. And so we're doing that too. And my partner always likes to, we argue a lot about something called a mood reel, which is a reel that sort of describe and make you feel the tone and mood of the film, um, which doesn't really, it's taking movies, it's taking other movies that are, that are made in the world and putting them together to sort of give you the feel of the film that is not those movies, right? Right, right. And those things, you know, are, you know, my partner would argue are very, very helpful in sort of the psyche of the executive who has to approve it or the, or the financier who wants to put money into it. So uh, I never shy away from micro budget stuff. I'm, I'm even looking at a micro budget film right now. It's probably about $400,000, super talented people uh, that made a film already, micro budget, you know, and it's improv-y. And so there's not really a script, and I I I I'm I'm very excited about it. So it's it's all about experimentation to sort of be the next creative force. You don't just want to keep rehashing movies that are already been made. You want to look to innovate creatively. And how did you and Michael Halfant meet? And why did it seem like a correct partnership? Was it a timing thing? Was it a visionary thing? He's 20 years older than I am, uh, so and and a super super experienced guy. He's the CEO of our company, right? And uh, and I'm uh, in our company. He has more ownership. Let's right. Say, he deserves it. Um, he's worked his butt off in the in the studio space, and right. I have been more in the indie space. Um, also, he is you know he's a lawyer. He's an MBA. He's a businessman. Um, and he's put together financing for studios and he started and built in Marvel uh, early on in the first right. two films of Marvel. He built their financing structure and their company before they became what they are today. And so um, he has a lot of experience in stuff like that that I have in no ex- I had no experience in. I'm, I've learned over the years. He's sort of mentored me over the years uh, on that. And then from my perspective, it's more about the nitty gritty indie production on set crew, physical production. Uh, and, and, and again, that bridge that I was talking about that I kind of bring to the table. So if we had to separate it out, it would be like, I do sort of the physical and or creative side. And he does sort of the, 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 business side of it and the financing structures and that. But in the end, he does some creative and I do some of the business and financial stuff. So there, but, but he's much more an expert there and I'm, I feel much more stronger over here. And so it's, it's kind of that, if that makes sense. And it sort of kismity worked and we've learned from each other and been in this partnership for 10 years and made some very successful films in it. So we feel really good about our future. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's just important to find someone that you have the same trajectory with too, 
like to be able to say, let's put our energies towards one thing. And then from there, we'll move to the next thing. So you've worked as head of production of development of Troika Pictures with The Road Within and Careful What You Wish For. And yes. now you're the co-founder and president of film and television of Amasia Entertainment, which we were just speaking about. So well, what's a typical day for you at Amasia? And I'd be curious to know what you hope a future day at Amasia looks like for you. Yeah. Well, typical day, using COVID or not using COVID? Ooh, okay. So, uh, let's, <laughs> God, what a world because day. It, I, it's a different day now. It is a different I'll day now. A I agree. day now, which isn't too far off. A typical day now is we have a morning meeting every single morning at 10 o'clock. It's a Zoom call, usually be in person, right? Right, yes. Um, and we're just a small team, head of development, head of uh, production, uh, head of television, myself, Michael, accountant, you know assistant right mm-hmm. right and uh and we're we, we have developmental meetings that every so often to go over all the stuff that has sort of been sent to us that we've reviewed either with readers or ourselves um and to see if it gets elevated to a level that i should read or michael should read um and 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 there's you know building of relationships with writers and talent uh on both television and film side during that development process but then we go through every single thing that's been submitted and who needs who do we need to respond to and pass to or do we need to say what else do we give us the structure financially what you're thinking with this movie because we kind of like it but it's not or we love it and how can we help right 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 so right there's that those developmental meetings happen and then sometimes we have to review those things in these everyday meetings um, but, but generally there's a list of all the films in development, all the films in production, if there are any, and all the films in post, if there are any, and, and we have to go through each one at a time and television shows. So it's a, it's a, it's an hour meeting. And, and, and of course in that, you know, we're, we're talking about different stages. So some have a cast attached and we're waiting to figure out when we're going to start making the movie in production. Some are, we're talking to the line producer about setting up you know, the financing structure or now we're having calls. It's just endless. There's all kinds of stuff that we're talking about all day. And then we, we have sort of a, to go like a a list of to do that day. And Mm -hmm. everybody goes out and does, you know, what they have to do. And there's phone calls and, um, and, and it's like, you're, you're kind of moving different projects and different levels as far up that hill as you possibly can. Right. And then that typical day completely changes if we're in production and I'm flying out to wherever the production is, mm-hmm. which is then that follow in Ohio or Wild Mountain Time in Ireland. And then now I'm now there for three months making the movie on a daily basis in a completely different scenario of what I do every day where I'm getting a call sheet and I'm focused on any problems and fires that have to be put out. Right. Uh, and then at the same time, I'm still doing those meetings to keep the other projects moving along. Right, setting up the next. So it's days are very, very busy. And I am an entrepreneur. So there's two other things that I'm involved in that have nothing to do with films. Um, one is, a, and we don't have to talk about it, but I'll just give you an example. One is a, uh, a philanthropy tech company that's about uh, starting nonprofits in you know, under five minutes and being able to like help the world in that way. So it's a tech company. Right. And, uh, and then another one is a, a, a PPE company, which is dealing with the pandemic right now. Right. So I'm sort of helping there. So I, I, I am stacked. And, and of course I just had a two month old. So we're, Oh my uh, God. So you- <laughs> fatherhood first time. And, and so my, my, my baby is two and a half months old and I'm, I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> I, I did know that you had that non-for-profit. This it's GM GVNG. Is it not? Yeah, GVNG, which is giving, right? Giving, there's no eyes because there's no I in giving. Right. 
And, uh, and it's very cool. And it's my license plate. That's how much I believe in the company. Oh, wow. That's so um, wonderful. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the opportunity for people and it's going to be corporate too. We're just trying to make it easier for people to give and to do it the way they want to do it. So it's like, if you're setting aside money to, to, and you know, give out, you, you don't get to decide where it goes all the time. You're always like, you know, so it's like, I want to send this to the cancer side. I want to, well, you got to be able to get the tax benefits and and give the money out how you want, but in a technology platform that you can sign on to, like an app, and say, okay, I made ten thousand dollars this year, or whatever it is, and I want to set it set aside a thousand. I wanted to send it here. You get to like do it yourself. Oh and, wow! And, and then we want to rate the you know we want to rate all, all the different charities, so the ones that are giving the most money to actual cause versus the salaries of the people. Right. And so, so you start it, it builds like sort of a network of giving. And right. That's the goal with that. And is this and is this something you've done independently, or is this something that you're doing with uh, Michael as well, or is this just like- no, no, no? We my Michael's the Michael helped advise, so she, he's he was on the he's on the advisory board, but I, right. I was an investor in it uh, through my family. Together we invested, and then I got involved actually in the company, uh, advised them. I was at one point their CEO, not anymore, right. um, and uh, and sort of just helped launch it and and fundraise for it and put it together, and it's 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 a very special company and 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 you know in the future i think there will be content that will be made you know like the like amazon was a shopping company now they look what they're doing they're movies, right so is there's no reason that giving can't do the same wow that's super exciting i can't wait to see what happens with giving but, but producers are involved in a lot of things so it's important for you to know that you don't just i mean producing takes time so like you could be sitting there with three projects and taking you can do other things if yeah you, if you need to to make ends meet if you know some people have jobs while they're producing and do you think it actually provides you longevity in the producing world when you have something else going because you're not so stressed and focused on one thing you can find other avenues to fill that void would you say no, that i think i'm always stressed you think <laughs> it, it depends on the lifestyle you want to lead. Like if your if right. your lifestyle is about being rich and famous, then you're you're going to be struggling. That's a that's a tough, that's a tall order. That has to happen by accident. You know, like right. I, I got to keep your lifestyle. Like I, you know, I live in an apartment. I I have a rent. I don't own a house. You know, right, right. I, you know, I, I you keep your lifestyle. You know, humble when you're producing because at any point, you know, things can change in this environment and they have. Right. Uh, and very quickly. So I, I do this other stuff just because I'm passionate about it. And yeah, if it's financially successful, great. But I'm saying to people, there are, you can produce and also do some other things. That's not the case with some of the other positions. Like if you want to be a, an actor, I think you really have to dedicate every second to acting. You, as a producer, you have to be able to keep, uh, you know, keep the lights on and what you do. And so you, you want to have other avenues, but in acting, you pretty much have to live and breathe acting every day. And I think if living and breathing acting every day, um, is the way to go, uh, that's, that's gotta be a calling for you. And for me, it was like, it was, I, I like doing it, but I don't want it to be every single day. So. I, I think I read or I listened in an interview that you read about two scripts a week. So at Amasia, what are you looking for when the script hits your desk? What's like the yeah, so one we have thing? A process where the scripts come in mm -hmm. and they get read by the staff and or mm -hmm. interns and they sort of do something called coverage. After that coverage, if there's a glimmer, I mean, even if they pass, I could read the coverage and be like, you know what, I have something here. I, I know you're passing, but I just want to have a quick read myself. Or um, generally it's a pass and we then go and say, okay, what's not? What's a recommend? What's a maybe? 
And uh, I usually wait for someone on the staff to be like, you got to read this and, 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 or there's a recommend in the coverage, which is the highest you can get. Right. And then that, or I get scripts sent to me personally through connections, agents, managers, whatever it is that I decide. I just want to see. Right. I just want to read it. So that averages out to about two a weekend for me. And, you know, in the old days, if you're starting out in the business, you want to read like a hundred a weekend, you know? Yeah. Well, of course. Right. Yeah. But, you want to uh, get, get your eyes on as many as you now can. I have a baby right? and all these other things going on. So, um, yeah. And, and reading them, you know, this is going to sound ridiculous, but we are just looking for an incredible story. We don't have, and this may be our downfall. We're not Blumhouse so that like everything's just coming at me. That's horror. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not, you know, the, the Adam Sandler group. So that it's all about comedy. We are literally just looking for the best of the best stuff that just resonates with either me, Michael, the team. There are projects on there that I don't think are, are for me, but Michael loves them or the other way around. He doesn't think it's for him, but I love them. Right. Or there's top projects on there that everybody loves. Um, and I even w- will say that some of my staff love some stuff that I just, I get why they love it. And, and I, I want to get that made, but it's not necessarily something that I would normally think is for me or would normally come to me. So it's about understanding your market, understanding right. passion. I want people to be passionate about their projects, whether it's my staff, us, um, or even the people pitching it. Sometimes you can pitch something and you're just like so passionately and you're just like, I want to work with these people. I love that person. I would have right. never thought of doing a snake handling preacher movie, but I was in love with the team. I, I, the script was really well done. The, the cast that was coming up into it was amazing. So then that follow was born, you know, and, and that movie was made for a budget that I thought we could get our money back. And we actually made money on that movie. So, wow. um, you know, I, you can't, Put me in a, I mean, you can tell me, I can tell you what's very difficult. Period pieces are very difficult. Okay. Uh, they better be like an absolute home run. Right. Uh, well, because they're having, expensive too, aren't they? Yeah. And having said that, I have a, a period piece in our, in our quiver. So, mm-hmm. so it's just, I try to stay away from that. I don't want the, the, the horror porn, you know, the really, really right. gruesome yeah. horror films. There's a place for that. It's not here. Um, but the smart horror thriller stuff that, you know, Six Sensi is is much better here. Um, um, and then in regards to, you know, we, we love thrillers. We get known for thrillers because The Call was such a big hit. Well, that, yeah. Um, then The Follow has a very big, thrilling last half hour of the movie. Um, and uh, and Mr. Wright has sort of a romantic comedy with action. So it's a sort of what we call a mixed genre. Right. Uh, and that's, those are hard to get made. So we, we really enjoyed making that one. Road Within is a dramedy. Uh, Careful What You Wish For is a sexual thriller. Mm-hmm. You, know, uh, you know, you know, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Wild Mountain Time is a lyrical uh, adaptation of a play. Um, you know, that well, is John Patrick Irish. Shanley, right? Yeah, John Patrick yeah. Shanley, an Irish love story. So we're all over the map for a reason, but it's 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 on purpose. We just want really great scripts that that have a market and uh, and can. And now I'm I'm starting to get in my older years looking for something that makes a, a message or, or can have Robin Williams, you know, somebody walks up to me and says, I thank you for making that movie. Do you find it hard if someone else on the team is passionate about something and you're having to work on it? Do you find, do you find it hard to muster up the passion to be no, like, I hey. push, I push them into why I push, right. I argue why this shouldn't be made or what, what I give them all the negatives. Correct. And then they have good answers um, or they don't. And they, they always have to pass the smell test in regards to financing. Like 
if they bring me a movie that's an art house movie and it's $20 million, they know I'm going to say no. It's like, you're not making a $20 million art house movie. That's just right. not going to see the money back. So you have to pass the financial test first. Then once we're past all that, then it's about creatively, like why? Well, a snake handling preacher movie, you know, hasn't been made before. Oh, well, that's interesting. And, and, and here's a documentary on snake handling preachers, how crazy are. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Olivia Coleman's attached and she's about to be the next thing on the next thing. And you're like, that's interesting. And then you right, read the yeah. script and then the script's like really good. And then you take a meeting with the directors and the directors are, are like first time directors coming out of like USC and, you know, wrote a couple of good scripts and just like, but so passionate and so interesting. And I just, I want to work with these people. And then you meet the producer who's already attached, who comes from, and you like want to work with her. And so eventually you just come to this whole thing. It's like, can this work? And can we get, and then I give them all the reasons it can't. And then they keep battling it. And then we say, we need more cast members. And then they go and get Walton Goggins to play the preacher. And now we're building a pack. Now we have Olivia Coleman, Thomas Mann, Alice Angler, you know, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, Walton Goggins. And then we're just like, you know what? Let's just, let's just do this. Let's just, do and, <laughs> and then the passion it, erupts. Yeah. Well, I start to get passionate about well, it. Of course. Cause I'm you're excited. About that director. I'm yeah. passionate about this cast. I'm passionate about this story. that's never been told before. I, I watched the docs and then I sort of, I'm sucked into the passion, even right. though it's not me driving that passion. <clears throat> right. Exactly. And, well, Cause once I'm driving the passion, the movie's getting made. Right. That, exactly. That, because that's how I, I have gotten here. You know? Right, right, right. Absolutely. Earlier this year, uh, Amasia obtained the film rights, franchise rights to The Green Hornet, which we had previously spoken about. So can you give insight on how that journey begins and how it eventually ends with you having the rights to this massive franchise? Yeah, almost all of the IP that's out there is kind of swallowed up by, you know, Warner Brothers, Disney, DC, Marvel. And there are a few properties out there that are owned by families. And Dark, Dark Shadows is one of them, and Green Hornet is another, mm-hmm. and we have both. Yeah, both, I was going to say, and, yeah. And mainly because we had a connection to them, so Tracy Mercer, our head of television, had a connection to the Curtis sisters um, regarding Dark Shadows. Michael Helfand has been tracking Green Hornet for uh, ever. You know, he, right. was try, he tried to get it at Marvel, he tried to get it at Miramax, he did get it at one point, they didn't get it made or whatever it was. And, um, and he kept tracking and tracking and tracking. And eventually it ended up with Paramount and then Paramount sort of let it go. And uh, we were ripe to get into a bit of a bidding war to try and get it as a, a small independent production company, which is hard because um, – but because the family had dealt with and Green Hornet with, um, you know, a tremendous amount of studio land for a while. Right. And they, I think they, they understood our passion and they realized what we were trying to do, and 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 they they went with us to to do it, and then we uh, we got it all sort of figured out, and now we're we're in a great place. We're about to announce tomorrow the writer of the film. Oh um, wow! Super exciting. That'll be very exciting when you see that. It's a really big writer uh, that Universal loves, and we, we we partnered with Universal on this. Yeah. And, um, and it's going to be uh, it's just going to be a significant franchise for us for them. And for the family. And so, yes, it, 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 it's that kind of thing, you know, building relationships with the families and them entrusting us to take care of their baby for right. all the personal reasons they want that. Um, and as well as making them successful so that it helps everybody. And so I think that's our, our key is and the key for all IP is, you know, to get directly to the author and or families and and explain why you really want to do it, explain why you're passionate about it and and show them the way that you're going to get it done and, and include them in the process as much as you possibly can. 
Because we do. We include uh, we include the family as much as we possibly can when we have developments, and I think that's important. Oh, that's super wonderful. I mean, if, if, if I've learned anything about you, the person, is that how passionate and how giving and compassionate you are as well throughout this and to involve people, involve people like that in, in the work because I think it makes them feel special and it also makes the product feel special as well. So I want to play a little game. It's called Radio Play. We get to know you, Bradley Gallo, the person, rather than you, Bradley Gallo, the producer. Sound good? Sure, go for it. All right. What time do you wake up in the morning? Well, I got a baby crying, waking all night. So if I had to go to before the baby, um, it would be around uh, 8 a.m. Current favorite show on the streaming service? Uh, everybody's favorite show, Queen's Gambit. Current favorite song? Uh, the song at the end of Wild Mountain Time by Sinead O'Connor. I think it's called uh, "Let it, we'll, we'll Let You Go, Let It Girl Go. It's very cool. Oh, great. Everyone better look it up. Uh, favorite film? Favorite film? Uh, nobody has a favorite film, and you know that. Question. I know. It, I, I, uh, <laughs> you're angry at me now. <laughs> Good Will Hunting. Good Will Hunting. Of all the celebrities and stars that you've met, who's the one that excited you the most? Uh, Martin Scorsese oh, um, wow. was a big moment for me um, because I just never thought I would ever meet him, and I went to the Independent Spirit Awards, and he was there, and I, I took the chance to go up to him and, to, and say hi and talk to him. And explain. We had a mutual friend, so I brought him, her up, and right. That always helps to break the ice, doesn't it? But I've met them all, and the most striking in person when mm. I was in the room, didn't meet, but was in the room in Sundance, was uh, Julia Roberts. Like when she's in a room, you feel it, eh? You're like, wow, you feel it. It's the most yeah. bizarre, iconic feeling. And you know, I did also. I actually spent time with Angelina Jolie, and she has a similar effect. Really, eh? Where these just—it's just like you can feel energy and like. No, the energy is that yeah. the energy of their of their soul is there, and wow. it, and it's and it's it, it it permeates the room. And Julia Roberts, exactly how you think of her, permeates that room. And the same for Angelina Jolie. Uh, biggest pet peeve? Uh, yeah, biggest pet peeve. God, I really need to write some of these things down when I get these questions. <laughs> I have so many, but I would say uh, like. Only in travel, like when you're traveling, right? Um, lateness in travel is is miserable. Oh, yeah. Everything about like being late, like your Uber and you're sweating to get to the airport. Oh, that I lateness that. in travel, and I travel a lot because of the business, and well, so yeah. I try to avoid that. I'd rather be there three hours early. Best advice you've been given? Best advice I've been given. Um, you know, don't take. The best advice that you, I can give, which is okay. the same that I was given, is is your time is your value, not your money, right? So so having like a ton of money is nothing as important as having time, right? You know, you're only on this earth for a finite amount of time and the money doesn't come with you. So mm. you want to schedule and time manage. You want to be an expert in time management to free up your time to enjoy your life. Because if you're always in the scenario of like, go, 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 and you're just going to stress yourself out all the way until you're 85 and then you're going to die. And right. so time management is critical for everything, including being spending time with your son. And so what does a person need to be happy? What does a person need to be happy? Mm -hmm. Hey, this is nutrition. Nutrition, because in the end, uh, that you're the happiest when you're 
taking care of yourself from a nutrition standpoint. So vitamins, uh, proper eating, uh, you know, getting stuck in, in grass-fed and organic foods. Like 80, I think it's like 75% of like you looking good and you feeling good is in your nutrition. It's not in the exercise. The other 25% is exercise, which is very helpful. But like if you don't take care of yourself from a nutritional perspective, you will be unhappy and you will get depressed and you will have cancers and all of it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's it's very yeah, true. The reason it's important in this business is because you're always sitting in front of a, you know, a tremendous amount of food at yeah. every event and every, every, every set and that you craft know, service, craft thing. services. Yeah, and that'll call you. You those bacon, egg and cheese, you know, thing. And, and you can't avoid them. And, and, and well, so you're that, tired, too. Right. And when you're tired, the, the leptin and in your brain coffee doesn't and soda. Go. I know. And, and, you know, it's it's bad. It's so all bad. As I sip away my coffee. <laughs> And no, you no, I mean, tea. you can have coffee. That's the, actually, <laughs> there's studies that coffee is really good for you, but but not six, seven cups a day. You know? No, of course not. No, of course not. Everything okay, in so moderation is my mother's favorite lo- logo, like motto. And, and that's another good piece of advice. Everything in moderation. I love that. Okay, last question. Because you're from, because you live in LA, even though you consider yourself a native New Yorker, on a scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you? I'm actually an excellent driver. I'm a, probably an eight. eight oh, eight. An eight. I love that. And I believe you. All right. That's radio play. It's true. They can drive a stick shift. Do you and, do stick shift uh, too, eh? Yeah. yeah oh, see, wait, wait, where are you? A, is that Vancouver? Is A? Yeah, I'm in Canada. I'm in Canada. I'm Canadian. That's a? Yeah, That's a. a? Yeah, A. Yeah, yeah, And I want Kieran, wait, I want to bring Kieran back on for a second here. And Kieran, I need, now that you've heard the whole interview, I need a question from you. What, like, what were you dying to ask? A question from me? Oh my goodness. Normally, normally my go-to questions are the, um, Although, like, if you can give someone, if you can go back to a younger self, what advice would you give? Yeah, the younger self. Yeah. Um, I like questions. <laughs> uh, I, you know, this is an interesting question for a producer, and it's gonna, it's gonna, it's it's definitely what I would have done. I was told to do this and didn't do it, and I think it might have been a mistake. But I don't know. I just want to go through it with the producers listening. But it's. Ex- being an executive in a company or being or working in the agencies or production companies from the ground up as opposed to starting out just making a film and then kind of being independent the whole way, mm-hmm. it might have been better to go into the companies first when you're young so that by the time you're 30, you've now met everybody in the entire industry and you know all the players. Then you go off, leave start producing and you have all of the connections. When you're starting as an indie producer and you don't have any of that access, you're trying to build it slowly piecemeal by piecemeal and by the time you're 30, you don't have anywhere near the connections that all your peers did who's worked in the companies. So I I would probably, and my family was the ones who told me to do that. And I just, you know, you reject everything your parents say. Well, naturally, um, right? So I would highly recommend, there's no rush. You know, so so like we're going to live a very long time and with medical technology and the things that they're coming out with in the world, we're going to live as long and if you can keep up your nutrition. Um, I would say go and work in these companies for a couple of years. It's kind of what they used to say. You can't go to law school unless you start working for a couple of years. It's the same concept. It's like go work in these companies for a couple of years, learn those people who are going to grow and then start running those companies. And now you are friends with them and you can then leave, produce and call up the head of this studio because he started out when you started out. So that was my mistake. And that made it, that made this take a lot longer than it should have. If that makes sense. 
selfishly, that's part of the reason why I do this podcast. It's so that I can yeah, meet people and, and have them face to face. The best, the people who have made the most money and or done the the best in the agencies and the production companies and all the distributors mm-hmm. are the ones that recognize that the youth and their passion and their know how of like what that generation is interested in mm-hmm. is what you bet on. And so those agencies get all those young like interns and bring them in as assistants and then eventually make them agents really young. And they have this massive amount of energy and passion and they drive uh, things. And and that's those are the geniuses, the people who know how to listen to that. And want to think they're smarter and start to do it their own way and they're 55. Um, you know, that doesn't always work. Well, what do you think the future of cinema looks like? And what do you want it to look like? I don't think it changes. Like? I think actually, I think actually film, sorry. No, it's okay. I think actually film. That was uh, your son, right? No, no that's my dog. Yeah. <laughs> your other son. Uh, yeah. No, but that's my, um, my favorite thing about that question is that uh, film is probably going to come back. And I'll tell you why. And when I say back, I mean like be significant. Because people don't have the time and are getting sucked into the depression of watching serialized television that kept you up till two in the morning every night where you have to go episode, 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 episode season, 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 season. And, and I, I've been getting a lot of uh, feedback that people are like, I just want to watch one movie for an hour and a half and then go to sleep. Um, and, and I think that docs have proved that out too, that documentaries are, are, are part of that process. And then they started making docu-series. So I think film has a huge life in the streamer land in that people just want to click for just an hour and a half and then shut off as, as time management becomes more important. So I'm excited about the future of film. Uh, and, 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 and I think theaters don't go away. I think what just happens is the ticket prices get higher, the eventness of them go up. So it's about having an event film. Right. Uh, and I even see the possibility once they get over all this anger of like when things are going at the same time, film in the theater at the same time as VOD, like they're doing right. right now. Well, this whole um, HBO thing, right? Yeah. I was just about to ask you about that. I yeah. think that's going to blow up in a good way where everybody's going to start realizing you can do that and still make just as much money. And so th- there may be, I'm going to predict, there may be an opportunity to go the other way. It does really well on a streamer and you throw it into the theaters. Um and and that is for movies that make sense to be in the theaters, right? Um, and so like can, big action films, yeah, that can become event films that they can, you know, they they like to re-release a lot. So mm-hmm. you've seen that they brought Titanic back one time. They bring they bring back some movies. They, they they might do those re-releases a little bit sooner, and and when they see so much traction uh, in the in the streaming world. But I don't know. I, I'm making that up, right? I just don't think that entertainment goes away. People like to get away from things and drone out and. Uh, and so I don't think like it's the, there's no death of film here. There's just where it's morphing into. I think we've proven that the short form content doesn't work. Um, that was the big $2 billion experiment. Of Quibi. Of Quibi. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And I think that people thought that the young people would just want to watch short clips on a subway ride and just be done. No, they're just going to always do that on YouTube and Facebook right. and social media. And that's where they'll get their short form content. And they're like, you can't produce it. Um, and they'll sit down to watch their film. They'll sit down to watch their TV shows. You've spoken about working on your first film with a budget of 150000 and then that the Green Hornet franchise will be about $100 million. So every project has its own budget. Is there a certain budget range that you like to work in? Yeah. Look, the budget of Green Hornet is north, probably north of $100 million, But, right. um, you know, that that's a franchise. That's a right. massive 
uh, IP marketing distribution juggernaut mm -hmm. that involves merchandise and you know characters and uh, and and worlds, world building universes that will, mm -hmm. will expand into other spinoffs and whatnot. So that's that's the purpose of a film like that. And I think um, this is going to be my first massive franchise studio film. So I don't even know what the experience is like. I know what a studio film experience is like, and it's just kind of a mega version of that. So right, maybe that's how that's going to go. The indie film, which Emily Blunt brought up in her Q&A uh, at the premiere, right? Um, she was so excited to get back to that because it's like when people want to go back to the theater and they want to get back to their roots in acting. Uh, for filmmakers, I want to live in the studio space for a while, <laughs> make some right. successful movies and have some big wide releases. But I have a feeling that I will get this urge to go back and do more indies at the same time because of that camaraderie, that camp-like experience that – I want to be right there in it with the crew that's, that we can't do. We're all in the same hotel. We're all eating the same terrible moment food because <laughs> we have to get through this and we have 25 days to shoot it and the rain is pouring down and we don't have rain machines. We need the right. rain in that moment. And so like we're sitting sticks in mud for a million-dollar movie in Ohio. You know, that stuff builds relationships, friendships, and, and creative genius when you have no choice because you're constrained by the financial uh, of the film that you have to come up with a, a new creative idea of how to make that movie and, and do it like the last second right before the world comes. Like all that stuff is 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 a great uh, experience for producing um, that I love and and that won't happen on a studio film. You know, like a studio film, they can solve it very quickly with a right. lot more people, a lot more money. Right, exactly. Which is great, and that's what they need to do for those companies. I wouldn't be risking anything. But the risk in the indie world to make movies for 3 to $5 million that then become juggernaut successes, um, you know, it's great. And it's like, I don't know. I just, I don't think that's ever going to come out of my blood. Bradley, seriously, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, being our season one finale uh, guest. Uh, not that that means anything because only no one listens to this. No, I'm just kidding. But no, uh, no I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're very popular in India. Um, uh, but what, but what, I, what I will say is thank you so much. Is there anywhere where anyone else can follow you on any socials? Oh, yeah, please. Follow my name is just Bradley Gallo, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y-G-A-L-L-O. It's at on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of them. So follow away and thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Kieran. We really appreciate your time too and putting this together. Seriously, guys. Thank you. Take thank care. You. Bye bye. See you guys. Bye -bye. This has been a Brown Stuff production. <laughs>